This week on Thingamabob. Campfire marshmallows, eat them all around. A dry turtle compass? Or a wet fish compass? <laughs> it was the Girl Scout all along. Stay tuned for more. Baseball bats and gallon cowboy hats and more. Magic rings and other nerdy things in store. Listen on in, it's time for Thingamabob. Better tune in, it's time for Thingamabob. Thingamabob! Well, hello, Josh. Well, hello, Bree. Hello to everyone listening. And welcome to Thingamabob. This week's theme is camping. <laughs> <laughs> Stop, I had Good morning, campers. <laughs> that was so unexpected. I loved it. I know. I had it pulled up just oh for you God, for this moment. I feel moment. like Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> I don't know. That girl, that girl too, she's like she's trying it. She's she, like stomping it out. <laughs> yeah. She was really like, this is my moment. Yeah. She slayed. Yeah, she did slay. Yeah. Yeah. So rise and shine. We got a camp little podcast for you and not that kind of camp. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that kind of camp. Oh, my God. I should have done that. That would have been hilarious. Well, we can have just camping things and then just camp things. We'll do, yeah, that. Fair, we'll do fair. that separately. That would have been so funny, though, if I blindsided you with something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that that would have been funny. Uh. Yeah. Before we begin, Brie, I think we should talk about our <laughs> Rose and Thorn of the Week. I think so. Get it out of the way. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. I had a great week. Good. I was up at the Catskills. <laughs> I took a catering vacation, basically. A working yeah. <laughs> vacation up to the Catskills and worked all weekend for a wedding mm-hmm. and stayed the night at my catering owner's house. At your boss's home. <laughs> at my boss's home and worked an event where I barbacked. Mm. <laughs> no. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a good time. And my thorn is directly related. Uh, there are a lot of windy roads up in the Catskills and I got very car sick at Aww. the end and beginning of the journeys, <laughs> depending on which way we went. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. But the wedding was so lovely. It was all like millennial musical theater kids <laughs> a dream for some and a nightmare for others <laughs> and a nightmare yeah for others yeah. i i thought it was very fun and very yeah. fun. they were all really good they understood it some of them were caterers so they were like we get it right totally they were chill. nice to you they yeah. tipped you well uh, anyway tell me about your little week <laughs> My little week. Okay. Oh, yeah, because I was going to say, you didn't do your thorn, but you did. You just told us your thorn. I did. It was all uh, one package. One a whole a whole package deal. Two for one. Two for one. How about it? <laughs> um, okay. So for my rose, uh, it's actually correcting a previous thorn. And I don't remember if it was last week or the week before. But my thorn was that I had entered the lottery for oh. the Merry Wives of Windsor at the Public Theater. And I won... Finally, and then I just didn't claim the tickets in time. Our wonderful, amazing friend and listener. You may have heard of her. Avid listener, <laughs> Nicole Nakash, who has gotten Josh jobs before, uh, has, now, <laughs> has now gotten us tickets to see the Merry Wives of Windsor. She listened to the episode and then texted me afterwards and was like, I have a code. Do you want to go see it? So she is my lord and savior, my guiding light, Nicole Nakash. She truly is that bee. 
Yeah, she really, she really, she came through and she got us the theater in clutch tickets with those tickets. Yeah, so we're gonna do a little, a little double date uh, next week. That's right, with her boy who yeah. I've never met all this time. I know, I don't think I've met him either. So that'll be fun. Yeah, for I'm very excited. Both of us. So I know, that'll be so nice too. I know it'll be it'll be first uh, live theater event back since the pandemic. Mm. <laughs> so I'm I'm very excited one to see more live theater and two that Nicole like fully came through with some tickets for us. It was very exciting for me, um, and I love her. So. Thank you, Nicole. <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. Uh, yeah, and then my thorn of this week to end on a bad note. That's good. <laughs> I kind of have two. Should I share both or should I not be a Debbie Downer? Sure. Okay. So the first one is that I was very rudely awoken this morning by our landlord. Oh, my God. <laughs> because they were going to do work in our apartment, but they didn't tell us what time they were coming. And so it's today is Labor Day. Neither Josh or I worked. So I was sleeping in. It was like 9 a.m. It wasn't that early, but it also wasn't that late. And they were, like, ringing the bell incessantly. And we're like, hey, can you let the guy in to do work? And I was like, what? You didn't tell us that this was happening. So right, people are entering our home. Yeah. It's like, you can't just... We can't go back to bed. Like, we have to stay awake because people are working. But not even that. <laughs> it's just, like, you got to tell someone when someone's just yeah. going to come inside and work. Yes. Like, normally the homeowner works that out. Yeah. But we are tenants. And so yeah. we aren't knowing when people are coming inside. Correct. Yeah. And uh, my sleep schedule is messed up as it is. So I went to bed at like 3 a.m. and was woken at 9. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel bad <laughs> either because I'm working until like 2 a.m. Yeah. So, I, you know, yeah. it's just, I don't know. I was not pleased with that, uh, with that situation. But it is what it is. And then my other thorn is that the job that I've been talking about all summer with the cute, squishy little baby has come to an end because he's going to daycare. So that was very sad because I had my last day with them and it was very cute. They bought little like um, like patisserie things from the local bakery for us to share together. Cute. So the baby got fruit and we had like little cookies, cookies and stuff. It wasn't. It was like fancy stuff. It was like a an eclair and like a little like fancy cheesecake thing and wow. some other. I don't even know how to describe it. You had a going away. I we really did. We had like a little going away thing and they took pictures and stuff and so it was it was bittersweet because it was like a cute little ending but the job is done and the job is done my baby best friend is uh away at daycare so and more importantly your bank account is not seeing a steady flow of cash that is also correct so on to the next on to the next <laughs> yeah. there will always be jobs there out there there will always be jobs that was uh that was my week that was it what a great week thank you yeah. for sharing at this lovely camp out that we're having right now. <laughs> I know. Josh and I were talking. So we are actually physically going camping this week, which is why we chose this theme. And we realized we should have done it after camping. So we could talk about maybe our Rosenthorn of the camping right. trip. So we had camping content. We're bad at planning. It's fine. We didn't we didn't do that. So we're going to do some preliminary uh, camping research for you Stay today. Tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. All right, my little camping item this week is a classic delicacy, the s'more. Oh, <laughs> oh, cute. I told Bray it was a little bit of a stretch because it's not an object. <laughs> but right. we've done food on this podcast yeah, we've before. we've done like snacks and candy and stuff. And I, will, I thought it was cute yeah. and interesting. I'll give so. it a pass. I've many times done something that's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Yeah, this is a collection of ingredients into a thing. So <laughs> it happens to be a, a man-made thing. Correct, yeah. I that has an wait. invention. Oh, it's so cute. I'm excited. <laughs> okay, so before we talk about this more, we have to dive into all the ingredients mm. individually. So sit back and relax. <laughs> the chemical makeup of each of them. Yeah, we're going to start with the marshmallow. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) The very first marshmallows came from root juices of the Altea officinalis plant. Root juices? Root juices. I know, the way they talk about that. Root juices. Yeah, French chefs combined these root juices, like... Um, like fluffed them up, yeah, uh-huh. like a marshmallow with uh, <laughs> eggs and sugar, and yeah. that created the. Because I think it was like the combining agent yeah. of the eggs and the sugar to make the marshmallows that we know. Um, oh. and I couldn't find the date on this, but I'm assuming it was probably sometime in the 1800s because that's kind of where everything else lies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to be like hopeful. That checks out. Yeah, yeah. The purpose of the treat was to taste good, but also to soothe the throat because the Altea officinalis plant was actually used for medicinal purposes before this, like combating inflammation and oh. things like that and soothing like sore throats. Wow. Yeah. So the reason that that isn't the case with marshmallows is because now they use gelatin. Yes. <laughs> instead of... Yeah this fancy plant. Not vegan. Yes. They started using uh, gelatin at the end of the 19th century. Yeah. They wouldn't have been vegan anyways because they it had eggs in it, right? Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. Never uh, vegan. Never vegan. Those marshmallows. So, <laughs> bye. <laughs> um, but it's not just enough to have marshmallows raw. We have to roast them. <laughs> People began roasting marshmallows around the late 1800s. Uh, This is a quote from an article titled, Marshmallow Roasts Are the Fad, (laughs) from the Chicago Daily Tribune in 1892, which I didn't know fad was that old of a word. Um, Feels right. Oh, does it? Yeah. To me, fad is like an 80s thing. Really? I I can picture like an old timey voice in my head just being like, oh, it's the latest fad of the day. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the quote. (laughs) When the fire is blazing merrily, or better still... When it has died down to red embers, each member of the party takes a sharpened stick and affixes upon the end of it a marshmallow. Simultaneously, all those engaged hold their marshmallows over the embers as close as possible to avoid burning and roast dexterously (laughs) so as to brown the marshmallows nicely on all sides. This requires some skill because marshmallows will take fire if not prudently handled. The marshmallows swell up to considerably more than their normal size. The proper fashion is to nibble the roasted marshmallow off the end of the stick. But also, marshmallow roasts are the excellent medium for flirtation, appropriately exhibited by nibbling the marshmallows off each other's sticks. Ew. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you, 1982. You know, you know how on dates you're like not supposed to order messy food because it's unattractive could you imagine Sh- like, yeah nib- let me nibble this melted mm-hmm. marshmallow off i can just stick. picture the awkwardness ew it's awful <laughs> awful idea but this is their idea of flirtation in the 1980 oh. 1892 explains a lot it does <laughs> so there's the marshmallow now we're going to talk about the graham cracker history In the early 19th century, New Jersey Presbyterian minister Sylvester Graham believed that there was a sex epidemic and that food could, and I quote, increase the concupiscent excitability of the genital organs. What is that word? 
concupiscent. Yeah, I think it means like like sexual excite. Like it's like he a, wants to increase the the sex drive. No, no, no. He believed that food, food could, could decrease it, or oh, he believed that fo- oh, that I see, food could do that. Yeah, and so well, he devised a plan to create a dry cracker that was bland <laughs> <laughs> to help solve this problem. This epidemic. And he named this after himself, Graham. (laughs) Oh, God. Of course, after his death, it died out in popularity, and Nabisco took it and added honey, and now we have a Graham cracker. (laughs) That's a true story. Literally a true story. Sorry, I'm dying at your, like, legacy that you want to be named after is, like, I made this cracker that just makes everything dry. I'm like, that's what he's happy and Basically, about. yeah. Well, he had a cult following, too, of people that were like, oh, yeah, we, food, you know, because it was just like. Well, it was like puritanical days. Exactly. Yeah. And food was all about, like, steak and wine and, and like, fatty foods were mm-hmm. supposed to, like, you know, increase your yeah. libido. Oysters. Oysters. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Oyster- <laughs> yeah. So it's just like his way of combating that was this bland cracker that we now have. <laughs> Crackers. Great. <laughs> named after this minister. <sighs> oh, and then, of course, there's chocolate, which all began with the ancient Mayans. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to get into the history of chocolate. <laughs> That's long. That's yeah, long because it's, it's just not as important. Um, now, when did all these delectable individuals combine to form the gooey beauty enjoyed by campers everywhere? <laughs> Tell me. Well, in certain circumstances, we can see two of these ingredients used together already. One of those was in the Victorian-era funnel cakes, where sometimes they were made with chocolate and marshmallow. Mm. And these were consumed when mourning the death of a loved one. Mm. Uh. Mm. Mm. And all three of these ingredients we can see being used in America before the actual written record of, like, the campfire treat, mm-hmm. which were Malamars. Um, oh. Yeah. Those yeah, appeared in yeah. 1913. Yeah. And then a few years later, moon pies appeared. Moon pies have graham crackers? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Me either. I think I've had a moon pie, and I thought it was just marshmallow covered in chocolate. I thought so. I don't know if I've actually had a moon pie, but I definitely thought it was just marshmallow covered in chocolate. Yeah, it has Graham in it. <laughs> the, Graham, the, the minister. The minister himself? <laughs> After Mrs. He died, Lovett's Graham pies? We took, yeah, we took his body, <laughs> chopped it into bits, put it in <laughs> the moon pie. Um, yeah, all these contain marshmallow and Graham, and they're coated in chocolate. Wow. So. Definitely the Malamars have Graham in them. Yes. But I'm yeah. pretty sure that the Moon Pies, I thought I looked that up because I was like, really? I, I didn't know yeah. that. And they do. Also didn't know that the Malamar was that old. Right? Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? I'm having so much fun. Good. That's, <laughs> I, I, that's why I did it because I was like, wait, this is actually kind of interesting. Yeah. So the, the treat that we know and love today around the campfire came together thanks to the records of cookbooks and camps. Between 1920 and 1925, a brand called Literally Campfire Marshmallows <laughs> wrote a cookbook called A Book of 150 Recipes Prepared with Campfire, the original food marshmallows, mm. which came in a tin at the time. They were uh, like campfire marshmallows. Um, <laughs> That's our new theme song. Gay, yeah, campfire marshmallows, eat them all around. Um, the recipe was called Campfire Graham Cracker Sandwich, and it said that it was made especially for Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. Mm. So, at... To nibble off of each other's sticks. (laughs) Sorry. Children. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Children. (laughs) 
1925, in a paper called The Norwalk Hour, when talking about Camp Andre, they mentioned a name that might sound a little familiar. Some Moors. Mm, which yes. talks about a graham cracker topped with a piece of Hershey's chocolate. And a to- they got that brand right in. Yeah. And a toasted marshmallow covered with another graham cracker. Mm, mm-hmm. Another recipe came out in 1927, Girl Scout Guidebook which is called uh, Trampling and Trailing with the Girl Scouts. <laughs> um, the delectable treat was also called Some More, because you can't just get enough of it, apparently. Yeah, you can't have just one. can't have just one. And this recipe calls for 16 graham crackers, 16 marshmallows, and 8 bars of chocolate to feed 16 ravenous scouts. <laughs> is that the wording? No, I, I said oh, ravenous. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just, I think it just said 15 scouts. Got it. <laughs> yeah. For one. So already we're seeing, like, you know, we don't know exactly the start of when it was, but all these, like, documented things of it have to do with camp. Yes. And maybe scouts. <laughs> now, some more, the name just wasn't enough. In yet another publication titled Recreational Programs for Summer Camps, we see the contracted term s'more used in 1938. Wow. And that term also appears in Betty Crocker cookbook in 1957 as s'more. <laughs> um, so as late as the history is, we don't have a specific start day of it, but through these articles and cookbooks and records of toasting marshmallows and the invention of the graham cracker in mm-hmm. America, we can deduce that they were invented sometime in the early 1900s in America at a camp. Wow. Not me playing Clue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a s'more in America at the camp. <laughs> yeah. It was the Girl Scout all along. She killed them with a s'more. I would, I would play that version of Clue. That sounds fun and silly. That does sound silly and yeah. fun. There are so many versions. Have you ever played Harry Potter Clue? Yeah, I think oh, I think I once. I love that game. Actually, maybe not. <laughs> I don't remember. Anyways. Anyway, that's it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that was so fun. Yeah, the s'more. So it's not as like clear cut as I wanted it to be, but the records are all there. Yeah. And I think what happened is like, you know, you do things, you have camp traditions. Yeah. And so I think what happened is it started at camp as like one of those like, oh, you right. know, we do this stupid thing where we roast, because they were roasting marshmallows before then anyway. Yeah. And then put it on this and this and this. And yeah. then like people just started writing about it well, and putting it in cookbooks. And when flavors work together, it's inevitable. <laughs> You know? <laughs> you know. You can't get enough like of them. peanut butter and chocolate. It just works. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Josh. You're welcome. Okay, I'm going to talk to you about the compass. Ooh, help me find my way. I, I will. Thank you. No problem. Okay, so <laughs> there have been versions of compasses basically forever, but... <laughs> What version? The star to the north? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just the north star. The north star. No, okay. So there have been, there were compasses before the magnetic compass where like people used some, something that was like a compass, but it wasn't. Yeah, but it wasn't what we think of today Mm. as the compass. So the magnetic compass is the most common and is basically like when somebody says compass, they mean a magnetic compass. Um, So it uses a magnetized needle that rotates freely so that it lines up with Earth's magnetic field. The ends point to magnetic north and magnetic south. Yes, which changes sometimes. Yes, it does. Spoiler alert. That's not a spoiler (laughs) alert. That's fact. You know what's embarrassing? It was for me. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) When I was doing my research, I was like, what? 
fascinating. <laughs> Whatever. You know, we can only know so much. <laughs> I know. It's fine. We, I learn something new every day. Blessed be. That's why we do It this. really is. Like, every day I learn more, but I feel stupider because I realize... Because realized, you didn't know it originally. <laughs> yeah, I realize how much I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. Whatever. Okay. I'm sure someone else is going to be like, oh, I didn't know that either. So. Hopefully. If that's you... I was going to make another email. Us email joke. us at <laughs> thingabotpodcast at gmail.com. Don't email us. I'll stop doing that. I promise. I just think it's funny. Okay. Maybe everyone's chilling up in our spam. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so, many, 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 many years ago, a huge amount of magnetic oxides were found in Asia Minor in the district of Magnesia, <gasps> which sounds fake. That doesn't yes. sound like a real place, but it was. <laughs> what? I'm just, I'm, this, I'm interested, I'm in. Magnesia. Uh, the minerals found there were named after the region, and so we get magnetite, which is often called lodestone. When you, So, like, when you look it up historically, oh. they call it lodestone, but the original name was magnetite, which is where we get magnet from. Wow. And the Pokemon Magnemite. <laughs> exactly. I didn't realize that's where that yeah. name came from. That's interesting. Yeah. Magnetite is a naturally magnetized iron ore. If it can be unaffected by gravity and friction, the mineral orients itself on a north-south axis, just like by itself. It's wild. So these magnetic capabilities were put into practice in the very first magnetic compasses during China's Han Dynasty between 300 and 200 BC. Wow. It's very old. Wow. (laughs) I know. Uh, These early Chinese inventors had discovered that if you rubbed an iron bar or a needle or something of the sort with a lodestone, it would temporarily magnetize the needle to point north and south. So these early models were not actually used for navigation, but for divination, for fortune-telling, geomancy, and feng shui. Ooh. I know. Okay. Yeah, well, because the, the like, method of nav- navigating at the time was to use the stars and to use the sun. Mm-hmm. So they, like, discovered this thing, but they kind of used it for other purposes for a while. If it ain't broke, use the stars. <laughs> exactly. The old saying, if it ain't broke, <laughs> use the stars. The old saying. <laughs> So the earliest versions of the compass came in both dry and wet options. (laughs) Why? What? Okay, I'm going to explain it. It sounds very weird. So you had wet compasses and dry compasses, which was really just like how the needle was used. Okay. So a wet compass would use a magnetized needle or an iron rod attached to wood or cork that floated in a dish of water. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. So it's wet because it uses water. Um, So dry compasses were designed as a square piece of material, sometimes described as being, like, only bronze, like, that's all that they would use. But other places just said, like, a slab of something. So (laughs) that's kind of unclear. Um, But it's just, like, a little square of material that had markings around it for the cardinal directions, north, south, east, west, as well as the constellations, because navigation at the time, constellations. So the needle was shaped like a spoon, and the magnetized handle would spin around until it pointed south. So the compass soon became used more and more for navigation, though early on it was most likely a backup option because, as we've said, sky mapping was sort of like the name of the game at the time. And so people would use the sun and the stars to find their direction. But the design of the compass eventually became more reliable and more portable, and so explorers started using them more and more as the primary form of navigation. 
So by the 11th century, the Chinese military had implemented the use of the compass into their navy. They used a wet compass design called the south-pointing fish, which was a wooden fish outfitted with a magnetized iron needle floating in a bowl of water. So the fish would point them where to go. It was very cute. There was another design I read about a turtle that they used that was also cute, but I didn't write that one down. Ooh. Yeah, that was a dry compass, though. I want a dry one. turtle. <laughs> a dry turtle compass? Or a wet fish compass. <laughs> I'll get you one. Okay. Great. So uh, the design changed once again in the 1200s. I was about to say the 2000s. It's <laughs> We're jumping way it ahead. Changed in 2020. <laughs> yeah. The 1200s, uh, turning now into a bowl marked with north and south with a compass needle mounted on a pin that stood at the bottom of the bowl. So over time, the west and the east were added to the bowl design, followed by 32 other cardinal points. Wow. I know. And they originally indicated winds for sailing. So these points represented the eight major winds, eight half winds, and 16 quarter winds. Oh, God. (laughs) I I know. Things I did not even know existed, like permanent winds. (laughs) Just winds. (laughs) Just winds. Um, So modern compasses still have all of those little tiny lines, like, around the main circle, but now they mark degrees. They don't mark the winds. Fair. Yeah, just in case anyone was wondering like I was. (laughs) So um, an Italian marine pilot named Flavio Gioja is credited with creating the perfect sailor's compass in 1302 by suspending the compass needle over a fleur-de-lis design that pointed north. He then put the body of the compass inside of a little box with a glass lid. So the Hmm. classic, like, at least what I think of as like a classic compass. compass. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One that like pops open. Giving me very compass. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, So it's thought that he chose the Florida design because it loosely resembled the original most common design that came beneath the compass needle. I say most common because I'm pretty sure not everyone had this, but it was it, it was common. So it was a spearhead <laughs> above the letter T, which stood for the name of the northern wind Tramontana. Tramontana. Wow. I know. Things I never would know. No. Winds with names. Useless information. <laughs> That's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> pretty much. We're great for trivia night. If you need a brush up, you yeah, come to us. That's so true. <laughs> yeah. Um, So older designs also incorporated the use of a cross marking east towards Jerusalem from the viewpoint of the Mediterranean Sea. So they think that that's where the fleur-de-lis design came from, was like a combination of the T and the cross. Kate. So the use of the compass spread through other parts of the world as a result of trade routes and exploration efforts. And by the 14th century, the magnetic compass appeared throughout Europe and the Middle East, quickly becoming the main form of navigation as one no longer had to rely on clear skies for directions. However, depending on where they were in the world, navigators could see that their compasses did not always point them due north. (gasps) No. I know. Bum, bum, bum. So a clear understanding of the constellations and stars was still considered necessary for navigation, and many sailors saw that their compasses did not line up with the star Polaris, which had always been used as a reference point for north. 
So this led to the discovery that there was a discrepancy between true north and magnetic north. Come through. So this is this is what I didn't know. Come through, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the closer you are to the equator, the more accurate magnetic north is to true north. But the further north or south you go, the less accurate it becomes. So this little discrepancy is called variation or magnetic declination. And navigators have to adjust their compass readings to account for the variations in magnetism that was discovered. I thought I just thought that was so cool. I like I love it. I didn't know how Earth's magnetic field worked. You better move around this earth. I know, and now I know more about it. So I literally just copy pasted this from one of my sources. But I'm going to tell you about it. It's it's just like a little tidbit about magnetic north. Um, so the magnetic north pole lies about a thousand miles south of true north in Canada. Uh, and making things even more difficult for the compass-wielding navigator, the magnetic north pole isn't even a stationary point. Like you mentioned earlier, it changes position. So as the Earth's magnetic field changes, the magnetic north pole moves. Over the last century, it has shifted more than 620 miles towards <laughs> Siberia, according to scientists at Oregon State University. Well, Siberia wishes they were true north. I know. Just always magnetic north. Never never true north. <laughs> never true north. <laughs> That's so stupid. Okay, so... Love it. <laughs> <laughs> this is discovered uh, fairly early on, and it's just sort of dealt with without much explanation. Navigators just sort of know to adjust their readings by cross-referencing the sun and stars uh, all the way up until the 1830s, and the Magnetic Crusade which was led by British scientists. So it has a very dramatic name, but essentially scientists just traveled around the world measuring magnetic deviation in order to better understand the changes in mm. Earth's magnetic field over time and across different continents. The deadliest crusade. <laughs> <laughs> we lost so many magnets. <laughs> Justice for the magnets. Oh my God. Okay, so with this new information in mind and with the changing face of building materials for ships shifting from wood to iron and steel, which affected the magnetism of compasses, navigators had to find a way to combat the inaccurate readings. Um, so for a while, they used soft iron balls called Kelvin spheres or Ooh. bar magnets called finder's bars, which were placed near the compass to increase the accuracy of readings. Then in 1862, Edward S. Ritchie of Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, Boston. <laughs> uh, invented a liquid compass that incorporated a system of bellows that would expand and contract with the internal liquid, preventing leaks and promising more stable and accurate readings. This compass blew all the other models out of the water and was used almost exclusively until the early 20th century when Tuomas Volonen of Finland invented the first portable liquid-filled compass for individual use. Wow. Yeah, so instead of the ones that had been, like, embedded into ships' navigation ports for centuries. So now we have ones that we can, like... Take Walk around, around with and spin around. And Get hope lost that in you're the woods there. with. <laughs> oh. Exactly. Um, and that's pretty much all I have for you because the compasses that we use today are just like very simple versions of that same thing. Of that same thing where it's just like a magnetic needle that points you north. And then the ones um, on your phone are GPS based. So it looks mm. like a traditional compass, but it's just 
tracking your location. It's so funny. I never trust the phone. <laughs> it's the same with the... Have you ever done that thing where you're measuring the distance with something by dragging the camera? Yes. That one I don't trust. Yeah. I do thing. trust I trust the compass Yeah, more. it's probably accurate. There's a GPS thing. Exactly. Yeah but... yeah, but the measuring one I don't trust. Yeah. Yeah. I do have one little fun fact for you. Just one today. I love them. <laughs> so there's a special type of compass called a, a Qibla compass. And it's used in the Islamic faith to point those who practice in the direction of the city of Mecca for their ritual prayers. So it doesn't point north. It points towards Mecca. How? Uh, I think they just calibrate it differently. So instead of, like, calibrating it so that the needle points north and south, it points, like, in the general... I mean, it depends on where you are in the world. If we're in America, it points east, I guess. But then you move around. It moves around the... Josh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't look up this particular compass. I'm sure there's some scientific fact. explanation that I don't Probably. understand. Probably. Do you want me to look it up now? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's what I have for you on the compass. Oh my gosh, thank you. You're so welcome. Wow. You know what? We can find our way in the woods and eat our way in the woods. <laughs> Celebrate not being lost with a s'more. With a s'more. <laughs> And thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you have any theme suggestions for us, you can send them over to thingamabobpodcast at gmail.com, your favorite (laughs) Gmail database. (laughs) Or you can slide into our DMs if you prefer on Instagram at thingamabobpodcast or on Twitter at thingamabobpod. While you're there, give us a follow, and please subscribe to our show on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Please leave us a review. It really helps us show up on the iTunes charts and the new and recommended page. We're still new. Make sure to join us next week where we steal the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) With the help of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, he's our special guest. And thank you for joining us because now we are all two things smarter. Bye.